Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Part 2, Episode 15, Fort Lewis Activity. 1934. A conference of Christian Science Churches in Washington State was called for May 29, 1934, to consider whether to reorganize the Fort Lewis Christian Science activity and renovate its building or shut the activity down. Since the end of the World War in 1919, there had been occasional discussion among the churches about whether it was worthwhile to continue the activity. It was, after all, established as a wartime activity, and the war had long since ended. Getting this joint activity going in 1918 had been quick and relatively easy. The entry of the United States of America into the worldwide war had provided a clear and immediate need. The Mother Church had encouraged such activities and provided guidance and organizational support. The question of whether to continue military ministry during peacetime was a more difficult one for the local churches. Furthermore, they had a lot of experience starting joint activities in recent decades, but not as much experience ending them. Long-simmering concerns would finally be openly addressed at the Conference of Church Representatives at the Fort Lewis Army Base. A few years earlier, the Army base itself had faced a similar question of whether to renovate or close. Established in 1917 as a training camp, initially called Camp Lewis, the base was originally comprised mostly of tents and hastily constructed wood buildings. This area south of the city of Tacoma, which had previously been reservation land for the Nisqually Indian tribe, was quickly transformed into a virtual city of as many as 60,000 people. The camp even had its own commercial district. Because camp commander Major General Henry A. Green did not want his men to spend their off-duty time in vice-ridden areas of Seattle, he encouraged a private venture to develop a commercial area adjacent to the camp to provide a wholesome alternative for recreation, which was named after the commander, Green Park. It was just across the railroad tracks from the camp, accessible by a footbridge. There were 60 buildings in all at Green Park, centered around Main Street. There were theaters, pool halls, a shooting gallery, a skee-ball alley, restaurants, an ice cream parlor, a soda fountain, a grocery store, drug stores, a jewelry store, a photo studio, barber shops, a post office, hotels, a library, YMCA buildings, and the Christian Science Camp Welfare Building that was later referred to by area church members as the Fort Lewis Activity. The Christian Science Activity actually had two buildings, both in the bungalow style. The main building welcomed all visitors. 
Behind it was a small residence for the worker who gave his entire time to the needs of the men and who supervised Christian science services held at these camps. The building, which was described and illustrated in the 1922 book Christian Science Wartime Activities from the Christian Science Publishing Society, was a clubhouse for Christian scientists and their friends and family. The building had a reading room, a writing room with plenty of material available for writing letters, and private rooms for quiet talks with boys who came for Christian science treatment. The main reading room, which doubled as an auditorium for church services, had high vaulted ceilings, windows on both sides, and a large fireplace at one end. The workers' residence cottage was the first of the two buildings constructed, built by 40 Christian science soldiers over a period of 10 days. Appreciation for the building and activity was expressed in letters to the Christian Science Sentinel. Private Ralph E. Sailing described it as a place of refuge in time of need when one wanted a quiet place for reading or study. The reading room had a set of bound volumes of the Christian Science periodicals among its collection of books in its library, which was described as chiefly religious in character. Very well located, the Christian Science Welfare Room was near the 150-room hotel originally called the Red Shield Inn. It was adjacent to the footbridge on C Street that provided access to the commercial area from the military base over the railroad tracks, so it was the very first building soldiers passed when they entered Green Park on foot. After the war ended, the camp emptied out, and the area population plummeted to as low as only a few hundred people. In the 1920s, when it was still an unresolved question whether the camp would continue, Green Park businesses began to close. Many of the buildings became dilapidated, and so were demolished by the operators, condemned and torn down by the government, or burned down by arsonists. In 1928, the decision was made for the camp to become a permanent military base. The name was changed to Fort Lewis, and under the inspiration of Brigadier General Joseph C. Kastner, permanent brick buildings were built on base, and the Army started repurposing some of the remaining buildings in Green Park. By 1934, the Christian Science Welfare Room was among the last few of the Green Park concessioners. Now 17 years old, the buildings needed maintenance and renovation to continue operations. The committee overseeing the Fort Lewis activity was asking the supporting branch churches to contribute extra funds for the needed work. During the war, the buildings and at least one employee had been supported financially by all the Christian Science churches in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. But after the war, churches began withdrawing their financial support. In 1924, there was a round of letter exchanges between branch churches in Seattle and a telegram to the Mother Church about the Camp Lewis situation. In 1926, there was a conference of churches at Green Park. At least one church, one of the largest in Seattle, 
withdrew support at that time, deeming it unnecessary. However, the activity had enough support from the other churches to continue operating. In 1932, the last remaining business in Green Park closed, the theater at Main and C Street, on the same block as the Christian Science Buildings, leaving the bungalows looking isolated and lonely. Around that time, the Christian Science activity was also hundreds of dollars in debt. Their appeal for extra funds spurred letters and discussion about the activity between the supporting churches. It was subjected to a new level of scrutiny. The Fort Lewis activity had a strong advocate in 11th Church of Christ Scientists, Seattle. In the summer of 1933, when other Seattle churches were discussing withdrawing support, 11th Church organized a conference of Washington churches in Seattle for the purpose of awakening interest in the Fort Lewis Christian Science activity. They invited the worker, Mr. L. Emmert, to address the church community. The chair of the Fort Lewis Activity Executive Committee followed up with a letter to the churches that was read at membership meetings. Internal discussions continued over the next year, culminating in a conference of churches to decide whether to continue the activity. Third Church initiated this statewide conference because its board had been considering withdrawing financial support. Churches sent representatives to the conference held at Fort Lewis on Tuesday, May 29th at 2 p.m. Third Church sent five delegates. Even Fourth Church, which had withdrawn its support in the 1920s, sent three delegates instructed to observe and make a full report of the conference without power to act. The conference was a carefully prepared reception with talks by military officials from the base, including the fort chaplain, who was a Catholic priest. Delegates heard reports about army officers and their families using the facilities, large quantities of Christian science periodicals distributed, and many subscriptions given to officers. The worker provided written reports, which were later shared in boardrooms and at membership meetings of the supporting churches. The plan for renovating the buildings was explained to the churches. But there were many more issues of concern than building maintenance. The Seventh Church membership heard from their member, Charles A. Griffith, at their quarterly business meeting on June 12th. Mr. Griffith was one of two Seattle-area representatives on the Fort Lewis Activity Executive Committee. Prior to the conference, Griffith had been somewhat in doubt, but now he believed the activity had proved its usefulness. It was needed now more than ever, and it was the duty of the branch churches in Washington to support it. He was in favor of refurbishing the buildings. He proposed that the members pass a resolution of support, but the members deferred to their board of directors, asking them to make a recommendation to the members for the next meeting. Seventh Church had sent two delegates to the conference. They came away with an overall favorable impression of the activity, but afterwards various unfavorable reports came out. Discussions began to open up other lines of thought to the board. 
It seemed to these board members that while the conference presentations were impressive, it was all so humanly prepared, suggesting it was lacking spiritual inspiration. They realized that they had heard about engagement with army officers, but nothing about enlisted men. Furthermore, there was concern over the fact that the church services on base were being run by an organization not recognized by the Mother Church, and the readers conducting services were not always Mother Church members. Ultimately, the board decided to write to the board of directors of the Mother Church and to visit Fort Lewis to investigate the situation for themselves. On Sunday, July 22nd, three board members from 7th Church made the trip south to Fort Lewis. They found the Christian Science buildings to be not only badly run down, but a long way from the other buildings of the fort and from the places where the soldier stays when off duty since they are across the tracks and highway. They came to realize that the Christian Science buildings, which had once been surrounded by recreation and shopping, were now entirely away from the normal life of the fort. They attended services there with two officers' wives, several visitors from the nearby town of DuPont and other areas, including six visitors from Seattle, and the worker. Nineteen people in all, but not a single soldier. They searched hard to find trace of the enlisted men being reached in any numbers. The board members visited the Fort Library to see if it had any Christian science books. They found a complete set of Mary Baker Eddy's writings on the shelf, although apparently not much used. They met with the Chief of Staff under Commander General Rosenbaum and the chaplain in charge of all religious activities on the base. They were told that the Christian science churches did not need to have a building to distribute literature or hold services on base. A Christian science worker or volunteer could be based in a nearby city and arrange a time for holding services in the new chapel being built on base, which at that time was nearly completed. The chaplain assured them the fort would cooperate in every possible way. The chief of staff and chaplain spoke highly of the Christian science worker and felt that he was doing as well as anyone could do. But there were not enough men at the fort who were interested in Christian science to justify the expense of keeping a worker there. The Seventh Church representatives also met with a lieutenant who was formerly a first reader for the assembly at Fort Lewis. The board members were not favorably impressed with his dedication to Christian science because while they talked, the lieutenant was smoking a cigarette and offered the board members cigarettes. And he told them he was not attending services currently because Sunday was his only day off, and he preferred to fish and do the things he liked to do. The board members were concerned that these readers and officers, assumed to be representatives of Christian science, were very certainly giving the soldiers and officers a wrong impression of Christian science. The board's report at the next membership meeting included details of their visits and a recommendation that Seventh Church only continue to support the Fort Lewis activity if they give up the building and if branches of the Mother Church have direct responsibility. Meanwhile, Third Church in Seattle held a special membership meeting to discuss Fort Lewis. 
the fact that the meeting opened with singing the hymn Peace Be to This Congregation suggests how contentious the issue had become at Third Church. Although their board wanted to stop supporting it, through an unusually dynamic democratic process, the membership majority chose to continue. They began to solicit donations for the Fort Lewis Activity Building Fund from individual members. Also, Third Church became more actively involved in overseeing the activity, appointing member Frederick H. Schroeder to serve on its executive committee. The strong supporters at 11th Church continued to see a need for the other branch churches in Washington to be awakened to their privilege to help support the building project at Fort Lewis. The contentious issues were not all resolved. It was an expensive activity, and its usefulness remained uncertain. Discussions among the branch churches continued, but so did the activity. If the world were secure in its peace, the churches in Washington may have shut the activity down in 1934, but events in Europe were causing concern to anyone paying attention. In the months leading up to the May 29th church conference, news reports had been increasingly alarming. In Germany, the economy was desperate. Terrorist bombings were frequent occurrences and extreme political groups were on the rise, including the National Socialist German Labor Party, commonly known as the Nazis. The new chancellor of Germany, Adolf Hitler, was consolidating power and had just gained control of the German army, which had many people worried, including those involved with the Christian Science Monitor. In March 1933, two Monitor reporters were assaulted by Hitler's supporters at a political rally. The German government put the Boston-based international newspaper on a list of organizations it considered hostile to its interests. The Monitor had been actively reporting on events in Europe, and according to Erwin D. Canham, a long-serving editor, from the first moment Hitler came to power, there was danger that Christian science would be suppressed in Germany. The Christian science movement was growing in Germany, but as early as September 1933, Christian scientists were being persecuted and arrested. In 1935, Hitler obstructed its activity by freezing the bank accounts of the 60 churches and societies and banning the sale of Christian science literature. The prospect of entering another world war may have seemed unthinkable to most Americans at that time, but nonetheless, it would not be long before acts of war would occur in Europe with global impact. Freedom, so valued by Americans and so needed by Christian scientists, was under attack by an aggressive dictator. Wanted or not, another world war would soon begin. It would not be long before the Fort Lewis Christian Science activity would once again be recognized by all area Christian Science churches as not only useful, but essential and needed urgently. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. 
All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.